just about 7 p.m. You're tuned to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming at WBAI.org. And it is now time for Talk Out of School with Lainey Hampson, which is followed by the Golden Age of Radio at 8 p.m. Stay tuned. Morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study him hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. And the guy behind you won't leave you alone. Ring, ring goes the bell. The cook in the lunchroom ready to sell. Hello, everyone. My name is Leigh Hameson. Welcome to our show, Talk Out of School on WBAI Radio, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org, where we focus on issues affecting public schools here in New York City, the state level, and nationally. Our show is also available for download as a podcast. My guests this week are Shino Tanakawa and Jonathan Greenberg, longtime public school parent leaders and advocates who will explain the issues surrounding mayoral control of New York City public schools, which will either lapse, be renewed or amended by the state legislature by the end of June. In preparation for that decision, the state education department is holding hearings on mayoral control starting next week in the Bronx to hear from parents, educators, advocates and community members about what they think of this governance system. But first, some local news. On Friday, Class Size Matters and the Alliance for Quality Education sent a letter to the State Education Department urging them to require New York City to prepare a corrective action plan for reducing class size. Given the fact that class sizes have increased for two years in a row at most grade levels due to budget cuts, and the DOE has plans to cut budgets even more drastically this year and in the years to come, and has also slashed the funding to build new schools, it is very unlikely at this point that they will be able to comply with the benchmarks of 40% of classes adhering to the class size caps in the new law starting next year of no more than 20 kids per class in grades K through 3, no more than 23 kids per class in grades 4 through 8, and no more than 25 students per class in core academic high school classes. There will be city council hearings on the proposed draconian cuts to the education budget, which are supposed to add up to as much as a billion dollars over the next year, as well as cuts to other city agencies on Monday, December 11th at 10 a.m. I'll put the link if you'd like to sign up to testify in person or remotely in the resources section of the podcast. Right before that, at 9 a.m. on December 11th, the Council Progressive Caucus is holding a rally in City Hall Park to protest these drastic budget cuts. So mayoral control of New York City schools is due to lapse, be renewed or amended by the state legislature by June 30th, 2024, as I just mentioned. Just a few months from now, the New York State Education Department was asked by the state legislature to prepare a report analyzing the pros and cons of mayoral control in a report due March 31st. In preparation, they're holding a series of borough hearings starting next Tuesday, December 5th in the Bronx and running through the end of January. I'll put a link to to more information about these hearings, including their locations and dates and how you can ask to testify at a hearing or submit written testimony. Now I'd like to introduce Shino Tanakawa and Jonathan Greenberg, who are longtime public school parents and advocates. Shino is also the Manhattan representative on the State Board of Regents. And Jonathan is a member of the Community Education Council for District 30 in Queens and the head of the School Governance Committee of the Educational Council, Education Council Consortium, which is a collection of CEC and citywide council members. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Looney. First, Jonathan, can you explain to our listeners what the CEC and citywide councils are and what the Education Council Consortium is? Sure. The the CECs and citywide councils are elected and appointed bodies uh, that govern or that uh, contribute to the governance of uh, community school districts across the 32 community school districts across New York City. The the community education councils are each in each of those those districts. The citywide councils which are, are deal with, uh, there's one for high schools, there's one for special education, there's one for District 75, which is also a special education 
district and uh, one for English language learners. They provide representation for parents and community members uh, for citywide uh, uh, citywide functions of the Department of, of Education. Uh, the uh, the Education Council Consortium is a grassroots group of parents, caregivers, advocates, and community members. We are open to all of these, all parents and caregivers and advocates uh, who share the vision of a New York City public school system that is equitable, inclusive, anti-racist, and free of all forms of oppression, and that provides an appropriate and humane education for all students in New York City. So, Shino, I know you've been working on this issue since you and I volunteered to serve on the Parent Commission on School Governance in 2008, which was more than 15 years ago. The Parent Commission put together a pretty good set of recommendations, few of which were actually put into the legislation that renewed mayoral control at that time. I'll put the link to our report in the resource section of the podcast. But can you explain what's kept you focused on the issue through so many years? what mayoral control is meant for New York City schools, and how it differs from other school governance systems across the state. All right. Well, before I delve into that, I want to thank you for having me on the show again. I think this is my third time, and I love having these conversations with you. So thank you for having me. Um, and another thing that I have to do, the fine print, I'm here as an individual activist. I don't represent the Board of Regents. I'm not speaking as a Manhattan Regent. So I just wanted to make that clear to everybody who's listening. So 15 years, oh, my God, it's been that long. And I'm still in it. Yes, indeed. I think at the very basic level, I find mayoral control to be completely anti-democratic. Everything rests on one person, which happens to be a man for the last three administrations. And that just isn't right. Just based on that premise of one person being in control of the system, which has almost 1,600 schools, a million students, and how many parents I can't even count, how is it okay for that one person to make all the decisions? So I think that's one of the reasons why I still care because the other problem with one person making decisions is no one person has the best idea, right? And this isn't just about public education. I see this in my workplace all the time when there are multiple people sharing multiple perspectives to solve a problem and come up with solutions together, that's when you actually come up with the best solutions. And this one person, the arrogance of one person knowing the answer to the education problems was made clear with the very first mayor under mayoral control. He thought he had all the answers. And he you want to say who that person was? Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> yes. So that's why I got involved early on, because I saw immediately what the danger of having one person making all the decisions was. So that's why I still care. I'm still envisioning a democratic system that really empowers people whose lives are directly affected by the decisions. I don't know what that looks like. I think we discussed a lot during the parent uh, commission on school governance time, but I think we could actually push that proposal even further to the next level by having conversations like this and bringing everybody together. So about 11 other big cities at this point have mayoral control, though Chicago, one of the first cities to adopt the system in 1995, is now moving to an elected school board. Why do you folks think big cities are more apt to have this form of school governance than other sorts of districts? Governing, I think governing a big city school system is clearly different from us, you know, governing a small town or a small city system. Um, I mean, in New York State, the second largest school system, which is Buffalo's, is smaller than 14 of our community school districts uh, in New York City. Um, school boards in, you know, a, a, a small city or a town can really get to know individual schools and school leaders and really see what's happening on the ground. And a central board in New York City 
could never be that connected with what's going on on the ground. But this is why we had this kind of federated system with the uh, community school districts. And I should say that even before you know, 1970, when decentralization happened in New York City, the city was all, was had been divided up into smaller districts for uh, governance purposes for quite some time. So there has always been a recognition that there needs to be uh, a way beyond the central board to connect to schools and students and parents in local in a local context. So you know, I think that. Uh, a, a democratic school system, a school board in New York City would necessarily look different from it would in, you know, your average town that has an elected school board. But that's not to say that we can't have democratic representation on that school board. That isn't to say that you, we can't have members who are perhaps voted in to that school board. And it isn't to say that we can, can't have what we already have, which is a, a two-tier system where we have governance at the district level and governance at the, at the city level. You know, that's how we can make it work in a, in a big city like, like New York City. As Shino said, we, we really don't know what the details would look like and we don't think we're the ones to, to draw out this, this new system. Um, but I have no doubt that, that we could have a much more democratic, uh, system without mayoral, uh, without having it tightly controlled by the mayor. And I'm going to just, yeah, go ahead. can I give another perspective to why the cities are the ta- target of mayoral control? So there's been this movement of neoliberalism, right? It really got kicked into high gear under President Reagan. And neoliberalism isn't necessarily a Republican democratic thing. It's all about privatizing public services. And I think if you think about it, big cities are where majority black and brown students are. And I think that was, you know, that's the nefarious reason. Maybe nobody sat down and said, oh, let's go into the urban centers and take them over. But I think there is this systems level racist thinking operation, operation that made these people target urban school districts because that's where black and brown students are. And they come in with almost a white saviorism idea, right? Let's put the mayor in charge and the mayor can save everybody. But let's also, though, privatize those public schools, knowing that they're not going to fight back, knowing that these are the school districts that were deemed, quote unquote, failing. So I think there is that underlying unspoken reasons why these are the cities. Cities were the target of mayoral control. So the original idea for elected school boards, as far as I can figure it out, were to insulate education from everyday politics so that it wouldn't be subject to political horse trading and to put it in the hands of education professionals. Mayoral control in New York City has led to many non-educators being appointed as chancellor, especially by Mayor Bloomberg, and really distressing backroom deals happening as a result. One example is how Bill de Blasio got an extension of mayoral control from the legislature in exchange for his agreement to delay the investigation of the ultra-Orthodox yeshivas, many of which were denying their students inadequate education. But is it really possible to remove education from politics altogether, do you think? I don't think so. Right, even the, I'm noticing that the school boards outside of New York City, they are elected school board members, right? So it's political. And I guess that's what they were trying to move away from. But even if you make school board members appointed members, so long as the appointing, appointing authorities are politicians, it's still going to be political. And there's no way to go around that. It doesn't matter if it's mayoral control or elected school boards. Things are going to get political. And I think it's even more political in the sense that Mayoral appointees on the PEP are really doing the mayor's bidding, right? And they don't have the freedom to vote the way they want to or their freedom to vote their conscience because I think they have some political agenda. They're currying favors with the mayor by serving on the PEP and voting his way so that they can move on to the next thing with the mayor. So we didn't remove politics by moving to mayoral control. 
Not at all. It just looks different, but it's still highly political. And in one sense, you know, I like to quote Paulo Freire, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, all education is political. So I think we should actually think about whether it's a bad thing that education is political, right? School governance may not want to have to be bipartisan politics the way we do all the other political things. But when we talk about removing politics from education, I think it's an impossibility and we ought to rethink the connection between education and politics in a way that actually moves our society more forward into a more democratic society. So the Education um, Council Consortium has been holding briefings for parents and others on mayoral control. And one section of the briefing, which I'll put in the resource section of the podcast, gives some examples of the sort of top-down and unilateral decisions by various New York City mayors that had negative impacts on our students and our schools. Do either of you want to briefly summarize some of these examples? I'll start with my favorite one, which really got me into doing this work. It was one of the earliest examples, and Leonie knows this one, when Mayor Bloomberg proposed a new promotion policy strictly based on test scores, right? So if a student scored in level one, that student is automatically retained, held back. That was a bad policy, and I think there's research that says you should not be holding back students based on just a single test score or even two test scores, math and ELA. Those test scores are not reflective of of the students' true performance levels. Even though there is research, even though there are advocates who are saying you shouldn't do that, that's a bad policy, Mayor Bloomberg fired three of his appointees who are going to vote against his proposal. And that was really the time, I think, the moment I realized this is really a bad system when he can actually remove appointees because they're going to vote differently against his proposal. So that is, to me, a big um, example of why this is a bad system especially when you have a mayor who doesn't listen to experts, which is what we had in Michael Bloomberg. Jonathan, and I'm sure, yeah. yeah, Jonathan probably has examples too. Well, I was, I was just going to give a, a more recent example, which is that, you know, when Mayor Adams took office, uh, the Department of Education underwent a, uh, a massive reorganization and they, you know, increased the staff uh, members, number of staff members in the district, district offices, and they moved around a lot of things in central. And one of the things that happened was that the department, the, the office in the DOE that supports parent engagement stopped doing a lot of the things that it had been doing under previous administrations. And they hadn't been doing a lot <laughs> under previous administrations. But even those things, even those ways in which uh, the DOE supported the education, uh, the community education councils supported, uh, PTAs. Those things stopped and they were, in, they were supposed to be given to the district offices, but those district offices vary enormously in how well they can carry out those functions. So in many districts, we are getting very little support as, uh, as community education councils or as in other parent uh parent structures and you know there's been a pattern over the over the time of mayoral control of really not supporting these parent uh structures at all and now you know it it was kind of hard to imagine that it would get worse but it really did get worse um when when the adams administration came into power and every administration in my recollection has said that they want to empower parents and listen to parents and include parents and respect parents. And none of them really have done that because they don't have to, because there's, you know, the, the CECs and other parent groups have very little legal authority. And so they may talk a good game, but when it, when push comes to shove, they do exactly what they want and they really do not um, care what parents think about it. 
Um, Sheena, you sort of touched on this before, but I wanted to bring up the fact that uh, when Arne Duncan was education secretary under Obama, he was a big proponent of mayoral control. And in 2009, he even intruded into the debate in New York City to urge the legislature to renew it without any changes. And groups allied with the Democratic Party, like the Center for American Progress at that time, claimed that, quote, switching to a mayor-led school system can provide a huge boost in student achievement, even though there was no evidence for that, and it really didn't happen. Um, why do you think that there was this concerted pressure during this period to try to sustain and expand mayoral control, particularly among the Demo- in the Democratic Party? Yeah, that was an interesting period. Um, I think the Democrats wanted to really be the party of education reform. That's what he, that's what it felt like, right? They wanted to fix the broken education system. Um, coming out of a re- Republican presidency, maybe that was what they were aspiring to do. I don't know the broader landscape of the politics that really went in there. But I do remember during the, the Bloomberg administration, privatization was huge. And that was really a bipartisan initiative. Republicans and Democrats both were really big on privatizing. They somehow believed that privatizing everything would make the government run efficiently, right? And well, it was that- charter schools, I think, on the part of the Democrats and um, not yeah. vouchers. So there was a dividing line on that on that level. But the, True. the yeah. ideology behind the Bloomberg expansion of charters that, you know, it would create this sort of free market competition. Um, Absolutely. And the, actually lift all boats never really yeah. worked. Yeah. But um, it was really strange at that time to see the national political figures sort of intrude on our local politics to that extent. Um, yeah, I remember absolutely. when mayoral control was first proposed in New York City and the debate over it at that time, the main arguments for it was that it would um, it would demand more accountability and ensure more funding for our schools. Can you folks talk about those arguments a little bit? The first one about accountability. Mayor Adams has, has repeated these arguments over and over in, in terms of calling it mayoral accountability um, and saying that if he was in control of our schools, voters would know exactly who to praise or to blame if the policies did not work. So I've learned to understand that accountability means different things to different people, right? But the argument against this mayoral accountability, whatever you want to call it, is that, one, mayoral voting happens only once four years. That's the entirety of a high school student's time in a high school. What kind of accountability is it that you have to wait four years for somebody to be accountable? But the bigger issue is, New Yorkers don't vote just on public schools. That's a fact. So how do we hold mayors accountable? We can't. There is no accountability. And, you know, sometimes they talk about, well, all these information is up there on the website. Well, that's transparency, right? Being transparent is different from being accountable. And they're not transparent either, I must say. No. No, it's not. I mean, there's a lot of stuff up there on the website, but it doesn't mean you can find it or everything you need is up there. But, you know, accountability you to me. information that should be publicly available. It can take up to three years or four yeah. years, and the mayor's no longer in office by that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's total lack of accountability, right? They don't even comply with the existing law, and no. nothing happens to them. Accountability to me has to come with consequences. And the cons, and it can't be every four years. The mayor makes a bad decision. If he truly thinks he should be held accountable, then something has to happen right away. You can't just say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I own that mistake and move on and do the same stuff all over again. You remember what Bloomberg said about accountability? What if you don't like say? what I did with the schools, you can boo me at parades. Oh, my God, I remember that. Oh, 
So that's what he means by accountability, right? He He's only accountable to himself and money. I can go on and on, but I think it's suffice to say there is absolutely no accountability in the current system. Full stop. And it's and it's not just accountability at the top, right? It's accountability all the way down. If your school is not doing what it needs to do to properly educate and support the community who is in that school, then it's really hard to do anything about it under this system. Because what are you going to do? Call the mayor? <laughs> I mean, it's really, you know, and we, and we've seen that the PEP is clearly meant to be, it's the board of education. It's meant to be a place where you can bring those things. But in a city of, you know, eight and a half million people and a, uh, a system of one million people, the PEP is not, is, is at too a high, too high a level to deal with all of the things that are, are, that come up at individual schools and, and, and districts. So, you know, I, I don't, and I don't think the mayor has ever claimed to be really accountable and on that level. So what about the issue of funding? Because one of the original arguments that I remember Randy Weingarten, who was then head of the teachers union in New York City made and others as well was that since the mayor basically controls the budget for schools, he should also control their policies, or he might be convinced to underfund our schools. In Chicago, their school board has independent taxing authority, as do the rural and suburban school districts throughout New York State. But none of the school boards in the big cities in our state, including New York City, have that ability, meaning they really rely on the mayor and secondarily the city council to fund their schools. What's wrong with the argument that the people who control school funding should also control education policies? Well, we can flip that, right? And to say we should put the power to develop education budget in the hands of the school boards. So if you want to follow that argument, then, and and I really can't think of any pros for mayoral control, only cons for mayoral control. If we return to a different system where there is no one person in charge, then maybe we can follow this argument and say, okay, so then we should empower the governing body, the Board of Education, to be in charge of the budget. But I, you know, I'm not a budget expert. I'm not a city government governance expert either. But from my naive citizen of New York City perspective, this really is about power and responsibility. And to me, distributing that power is actually a good thing. So it, maybe it's not bad that the mayor has proposes the budget, but the governance falls on somebody else. What I really don't like is it's putting all the power in one person, which is the system we have. And what I want to do is think about distributing that power because money is power. So how do we distribute that power of budget making? And I don't know what that might look like, but I think that's what we need to think about is do we really want to put all the power into one entity? Definitely not one man, one mayor, but do we also want to put all that budgeting power to the school board too? I don't know. Maybe there are other ways of thinking about school governance and school budget that we haven't really thought about. I also think it would be be very helpful to have the Department of Education have its own voice to advocate for the budget that it needs. Because as it is right now, the the DOE basically just parrots what the mayor wants their budget needs to look like, which is not what happens with, for instance, libraries. You see libraries doing advocacy saying they're threatening to to cut our funding, please advocate for more funding. The DOE could be doing that too, but they're not because they're controlled by the mayor. And I think that that site that that contestation, you know, where you know where you have the mayor saying this is how I'm proposing to to divide up the the budget, and uh, an agency saying no, we need more than that, and this is why. And you have a public debate about that issue. That's a really important way in which government functions. That's a really good point. 
I'm talking to Shino Tanakawa and Jonathan Greenberg, two parent activists about the inherent flaws in mayoral control, the school governance system that we have here in New York City. Now, in 2022, when the legislature renewed mayoral control for two years, they made a few minor changes, such as expanding the number of members of the Panel for Educational Policy, though leaving the mayor with a majority of appointees, and but also prohibiting the mayor from firing his appointees at will. But that doesn't seem to have stopped the panel from acting as a rubber stamp, as you mentioned earlier, Shino. An example happened just last week when the mayoral appointees who still make up the majority, as I said, voted to approve big cuts to school budgets. What was really discouraging was that although there were passionate um, statements from the independent members of the panel and many parents and teachers who attended the meeting who spoke up against these cuts during the public comment period, not a single mayoral appointee bothered even to explain their vote or say anything at all about the issue. And that's a pattern that I've noticed in many panel meetings, that the mayoral appointees automatically vote for whatever is put before them. I think there was only one time in the panel's history that they ever voted to reject a proposal or a contract, um, despite lots of very damaging proposals and, and you know, very, very damaging budgets and some even corrupt contracts. But the fact is that they don't even try to rationalize their vote. They say nothing at all. And I found that really depressing because it basically means that no matter what the arguments are on the other side, no matter how poorly thought out some of these decisions are made, there is no chance for the public to reason with or the other members of the panel to reason with these people because they're not even acting as independent thinkers. They are really just mechanisms by which the mayor exerts his unilateral control over our schools. So, you know, I think we've made, and your group has made very clear the critique of the system, but does the ECC or either of you have any specific ideas of what should replace mayoral control. As I as I said earlier, I, I think we're we're wary to start to draw out a system that we think really needs to be done in a um, collaborative and drawn out way. We're advocating for a commission that would really study this issue that would include all stakeholders, parents, educators, students, um, and really talk and experts and people who studied, you know, school governance and city governance and really very carefully draw out the ways in which this system is failing and things we might do to create a a better system. I mean, some of the things that I think are clear more broadly are that parents, educators, students need to be more empowered in the system. There need to be structures that not only give them a chance to have a voice, but also really support them. We have enormous numbers of, um, you know, new, newly arrived immigrants in our, in our system. We have enormous, we have a hundred thousand, uh, students who are, uh, who are homeless and in order to be able to represent those students and develop a system that's that really works for those families and those students um the the system needs to be able to support them and to encourage them to encourage their their participation you know at at at, at every level so uh, you know that i think is is really um that that idea of a more democratic system where all these stakeholders really have a role to play in how this system is governed is the sort of basis of our vision. In the short term, I think we would love to see a reduction of the number of mayoral appointees on the PEP. You know, some would say that then, you know, that's there's no longer mayoral, mayoral control if there's no mayoral majority on the PEP. But the pep, but the mayor would still be appointing the chancellor and would still have, would still potentially have many appointees on the PEP. Um, you know, as you've said, Lainey, this PEP is really dysfunctional. Uh, they're not doing what, uh, you know, a, a school board, which it is in law, is meant to do, which is to listen to, you know, the public 
to study the issues, to talk about the pros and cons of how they're voting, and then to vote in the best interest of the system. They're not doing that. So I think that that, to me, is a basis for saying, look, we need to study this. We need a commission. We need to develop a better system. However, in the short term, we really think that you should eliminate the mayoral majority on the PEP. And, you know, as an interim, we could have a, a more balanced board of education while we develop a broader system that best represents everybody, you know, from school at the school level all the way up to the to 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 the system. So um, I recall um, hearing, Shino, that a bunch of you went to Somos, which is a retreat in Puerto Rico that many of the legislators um, go to. It happened last month or something. And you were, I, I guess, going to make the point to them that we really do need to change the system. How did you find what, what was their response and, and what was the what was the general tenor of the discussions there like? So unfortunately, we didn't have any real conversations with any of them. Somos is chaotic. There were a gazillion workshops on one day, and then there are all these meet and greet sessions, and we couldn't actually grab any of the legislators. So we handed out our one pager that spelled out what Jonathan just talked about. Um, and we handed out a card with QR code that takes you to the same one pager. But who knows if they looked at it or not. I do think, um, while we were there, there's, you know, conversations happening. Um, and some people are saying, well, you know, the mayor Adams was supposed to be at Somos, but he turned around because <laughs> He was afraid of another FBI raid or some such thing. Clearly, he was supposed to be there, and he didn't come. And it felt like people understood that this mayor has some issues. And in terms of school governance, I think people are thinking this may not be a good system to continue. That is sort of the sense that I'm getting from some of the legislators, but it's not based on any solid conversation with anybody. Sort of through the grapevine, this is what the temperature feels like. So the the state legislature is a mysterious place, at least in my mind, And but one thing is pretty clear is that the chairs of the committees and in this case, it would be Senator John Liu, who's the head of the State Senate Education Committee for New York City, and uh, Michael ben Benedetto, who's the chair of the Assembly Education Committee, have the most say in what gets through the legislature in terms of proposals. In the past, they've been the ones holding the hearings on mayoral control every few years, and I feel like I've testified probably about six or seven times over the course of the last 15 years on this subject. Um, this time it's the state education department who's supposed to put together some sort of report. And, and, and Shino, you're on the board of regents. I know you're not speaking as a regent member, but why do you think that they made this sort of shift to sort of hand over a little bit more, at least advisory authority to the state education department on this um, specific round of mayoral control, either renewal or amendment or lapse? I think um, I, I'm i going to let the ECC take the credit, right? Because the ECC has been advocating against mayoral control for a long time, along with other organizations. But we have communicated with legislators pretty much every year when mayoral control was to sunset. And we actually advocated for commission for the last so many years. I think it was definitely before the pandemic. So I would say four years or so, we have been asking the state to give us a commission. Now, I know that the assembly chair did not want to do a commission, but perhaps he thought it was worth examining the merits 
and problems with mayoral control. And instead of doing a commission, he agreed to tasking the commissioner of the education to come up with a study. But I do think it's because ECC and other parents and other advocacy groups asked for an alternative or thinking about an alternative for a mayoral control. And for us to be able to do that, it needs to be some kind of a commission or some kind of a study or some kind of an inclusive process. And that's not what we got in this law that tasks the commissioner to do this, but I think it's just their way of responding to those calls for action from the advocates and parents. Do you know who's running these these set of hearings? Who'll be there in the Bronx and and from then on in the various boroughs? I have no idea. I mean, I assume the commissioner will be there, but probably the legal staff is my guess. But I don't. But not know. the board of regents members won't be there. No, the we're not even invited. Well, that's interesting. I mean, we're uh, not barred from attending, I suppose, but um, no, we're not getting any additional communication from the department on this. And the ECC is going to have people testifying at each of these borough hearings, I assume? We're trying. We're trying. But we're also working with more UFT caucus, um, coalition to finally end mayoral control. And hopefully with New York City Kids Back, we can recruit enough people to start sending folks to these hearings. And um, Dignity in Schools prepared a one-page our talking points, which is really great. So we've been sharing that too. So we'll pro- provide a link to the one-page yep. with talking points so that if people want to testify, um, they can they can take a lead from the ECC if they want to. Now, when mayoral control was renewed two years ago or two and a half years ago now, it was linked to the issue of class size. And um, I myself am ambivalent about that because whether or not the DOE um, actually complies with the class size law, I'm, I'm not in favor of mayoral control, um, but it seemed to loom large in the minds of several of the legislators, especially Senator Liu. Um, what are your thoughts about linking those two issues if people want to speak out? Um, it's very clear that at this point the, the mayor and the Department of Education have no intention of complying with the new class size law. Um, both the chancellor and the deputy chancellor, when asked about the big cuts to the capital plan, said, all those decisions were made by the mayor and the Office of Management and Budget. We have nothing to do with it. Basically disclaiming all responsibility for their refusal to comply with the law. Is this something that you you folks believe should be linked to in any way? Um, if people want to testify either in person or submit written testimony? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I would go even further. I, I would say that if there are things that you notice in your community or your school that have been systemically wrong or have, have not been working, um, those are part of our, how the school system works. You know, it doesn't have to have to, it doesn't have to be about the chancellor or the pep, um, to be about mayoral control. So I think, you know, for years, I've been hearing from parents that class sizes are too large in their school. And, you know, parents have been saying it and teachers have been saying it to the DOE for as long as, you know, I can remember. And I'm sure a lot longer. The DOE has never done anything about that, whether they're legally obligated to or not. And they were they were receiving funding for you know many years before this class size law. So class size is absolutely something that I think you could say under mayoral control, the, the, the mayor and the DOE have not done what is best for students um, and reduce class sizes. And now that they're legislated to do so, they're not even paying attention to the, to the law. So I would, I, would, I would say, sure, absolutely. If that's something that you feel strongly about, that, that would be a great thing to, to point out in, the, in, in your testimony. I absolutely agree because that's what mayoral accountability is, right? He can't pick and choose to which he he's going to be accountable to. Everything under his purview 
everything that has anything to do with our school system is the responsibility of the mayor. So if the mayor is saying the class size law, he's going to just ignore the class size law. That should absolutely be mentioned as one of the problems of mayoral control. And what are some of the other talking points in, in your presentation that uh, parents should consider bringing up um, in the, during these hearings? I would say, you know, we, during the workshop, we encourage parents to speak from their own experiences, right? And we don't want to dictate what they should mention. But if they had a horrible commute during that flood because the mayor didn't close the school, I know one parent who had to pay $150 to send a kid home in Uber. I know a parent, another parent whose kid had to wade through rivers of flood water to get home, walking two miles in that condition. Those are also mayoral control issues, and people should definitely talk about those personal experiences of their children schooling under this system. So whatever they think isn't working is what we encourage people to speak about. And so if if, if people want to learn more about the ECC and attend one of your briefings, because I hear you're having a series of briefings on mayoral control, is that right? Yes, it's for, a three-workshop series, yeah. And we and have what, one, so we have two more. And what are the t- two other ones Um I know I'll put the link to the one, uh, the PowerPoint that you already did, but what's number two and number three and when are they coming up? Number two is going to really focus on, and this is all slightly tentative because we're sort of doing this on the fly. Um, the second session is going to focus on sort of the roles and responsibilities of school board members, what decisions school boards make, what decisions the PEP makes, and what powers are out there. So the PEP is a policy body and that's what school boards across the New York, across New York state really do is to develop policies, right? But beyond policies, these are the boards that set priorities for the system. So educational priority setting, for instance, 3K pre-K, that was a priority under de Blasio. Um, literacy is the priority for this mayor, but these priorities are set by the system and by in in our system, it's the mayor and the chancellor who set the priorities without any input from anybody. Uh, Elsewhere, school boards have a more democratic way of setting priorities. So we talk about what are the responsibilities and roles and powers of school boards, both at the central level and at the CEC level. And we should be having um, ample time for discussion, open discussion of so what types of decisions, boom, and who should be at the table, at the decision-making table? So we'll have, being, we'll have some kind of um, conversations on those in breakout sessions. The third one, we'll probably focus on how we select people. And, you know, whether it's going to be elected board, central board or appointed board or who should run, who should be eligible to run. Those are the discussions I think we're going to be having, but it's still not completely solid. And then we're hoping to host a couple of forums in January, February, March, inviting experts as well. We did that at the Parent Commission. We had some really great. Yes. Yeah. We're copying. Yeah, I wish we had the videos of those because I think a lot of those issues are still very live. One of the frustrations that that a lot of people have about the the PEP is the way they rubber stamp so many contracts. And um, one of the changes that we um, advocated for was to put the a city controller as a non-voting member on the PEP, though that doesn't seem to have really altered the trajectory of approving a lot of very large contracts um, that many people don't see the point of, especially at a time of rampant budget cuts to schools. Is this something that you think is relevant to this discussion as well? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that the, the incentives are not are not right. Uh, for the, for the, for the mayor who is, you know, controlling his appointees, nor for the appointees themselves. You know, uh, as I said, 
this should be a place, a school board, which this, remember this, that the PEP is our school board, should be a place to discuss and hear evidence and, 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 um, you know, different points of view about every issue, including budget items. And that's not, it's just not happening. Um, so I, I, I think, I think that, you know, uh, this is a, a, a really probably a central concern about, about mayoral control that the way that the budget is spent is not really going through the kind of, um, scrutiny that it should and is clearly meant to in the way that the law is written describing what the Board of Education is. So if people want to attend one of your briefings or learn more about ECC, where should they go? We have a nifty little um, tiny URL, and I will, I, I guess you can put it in show notes. Is that how this happens? I can also spell it out. It's tinyurl.com slash ECC supporters with ECC and S, the, um, S of the supporters, all capital. Okay, I'll also put that in the resources section. Um, Thank you. That's tinyurl.com slash mm-hmm. ECC supporter. Yeah, supporters. Supporters. Plural. Okay, yeah. great. Chino and Jonathan, thank you so much for being here with us tonight and providing insights on the issues and problems with mayoral control and your thoughts on how it might be changed and whether we need a commission I hope that this time around um, there's a more substantive debate on this subject because it seems like we've gone through this time and time again every few years and whatever changes are made do not fundamentally fix the basic flaws with this sort of one-man show with no checks and balances. But thank you so much for being with us tonight. This is Lainey Hameson, host of Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM, Pacifica Radio. Our show is available as a podcast if you miss the live version or want to recommend it to a friend. Also, please consider becoming a member of WBAI or a special supporter of this show, Talk Out of School, by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. There's no other show on the air that delves deeply into the issues affecting our schools like this one. You can also contribute online at WBAI.org. We really need the support of listeners to keep going as one of the only non-commercial, purely membership-supported radio stations in the city that doesn't run any ads. We will be back soon with another episode of talk out of school. Until then, be careful and be safe. And thanks so much for listening. Up in the morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study them hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. Dear listeners, this is my report. I'm Linda Perry. This is my report, my brief report to the listeners. I hope you're doing well as December is settling in. We are grateful that you listen to WBAI and very much appreciate your support. If you've recently become a BAI buddy, you should be getting your tote bag shortly. And we are working on sending out thank you gifts you ordered with your donation. Apologies for delays. We've placed fundraising shows throughout the grid to raise funds needed to continue broadcasting. Please follow our schedule on WBAI.org, upper left-hand corner. Click Schedule. We strive to ensure that we stay on mission by producing special programming centering both 
Palestinian and Jewish voices working on behalf of Palestinian liberation calling for a ceasefire. Our programming features many Palestinian and Jewish activists, musicians, poets, and scholars with listener phone calls. This provides a much-needed platform to discuss, to grieve, and to center the humanity of the Palestinian people, which is a platform absent in mainstream media. As a Pacifica radio station, we take seriously the vision and mission of founder Lou Hill. He was a pacifist and conscientious objector, jailed several times as a result. WBAI, in partnership with our sister station, WPFW, co-produced and presented very successful live broadcasts about the situation, about the crisis on Saturday, November 4th. We presented the Black is Back Coalition's Black People's March on the White House and the Palestinian Freedom March from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. We also continue to do special programming on the crisis and uprisings in New York and worldwide. We've added the electronic intifada to our broadcast week. It provides a Palestinian lens, often with guests from Gaza. In fact, all of WBAI's programmers have provided exemplary and relevant programming throughout this ongoing crisis. WBAI and WPFW presented an Indigenous Peoples programming special that was well-received on November 22nd. We are celebrating the publication of Felipe Luciano's wonderful new memoir, Flesh and Spirit, Confessions of a Young Lord. And WBAI has upcoming specials planned, including the Belmarsh Tribunal regarding Julian Assange on December 8th and a CBGB's anniversary celebration produced by Julian and Jonas in coming days. You may have noticed that some of our hosts are on hiatus. This is for vacations and or health reasons. We will inform you of their return when possible. Meanwhile, we are filling these program slots with reruns and with trial shows. One of our hosts, Ben Max, who was on Fridays at 5 p.m. covering New York City and New York State issues, is moving on. Thanks to Ben for his years of informative programming and to Jarrett Murphy, his former co-host, who was just wonderful on air. We are rebroadcasting Beyond the Pale, now celebrating its one-year anniversary return to WBAI in this slot for the time being. And everything old is new again with Dave Kenny. Now in its 45th year on BAI is being rebroadcast on Saturday mornings, right before David Rothenberg's wildly popular Any Saturday program, a lovely flow of one program into another. Programs on hiatus include a new one on the migrant crisis in New York City documented with Visayo Okari. It will return in January and the WBAI Playhouse is back. Please tune in on Sunday at noon for it or listen on WBAI's archives. Another new program hosted by Maureen Langan is now at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, Badass Women. Please check it out. WBAI will be going into a week of fun drive programming on December 18th to ensure that we have enough funds to keep going. Know that we honor your suggestions and we try to implement them wherever possible. Please keep writing to me, pd at wbai.org, and please keep listening and supporting WBAI Radio. Thank you so much. Bridges your community and labor report. From your workplace to your neighborhood, listen to the show that brings it all together. Building Bridges, your community and labor report, produced by Mimi Rosenberg and Ken Nash, bringing you news and analysis, local, national, and international. Monday nights, 7 p.m. We build bridges.
This is the mic check for Cat Radio Cafe. Uh, testing. Testing. Tune in to Cat Radio Cafe Tuesday night at 9 here on WBAI. I'm Janet Coleman. I'm David Dozer. Displaced playwright on Tuesday, December 5th at 9 p.m. will be joined by author and musicologist Judith Tick, whose new book, Ella Fitzgerald, the jazz singer who transformed American song, a compelling portrait of the genius whose vocal perfection and musical courage steered black classical music to the heights. Tuesday night at 9 here on WBAI. Cat Radio Cafe. Did a cat drink coffee?